Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. I'm excited today, and I have a question for you right at the beginning. If I say the words, uh, let's say, Holy Spirit, gifts, spiritual gifts, the charismatic, charismata, what kind of emotions do you feel? Shout out. This isn't a trick question. I'm interested. Excited. Thank you, Danny. Curious. Yeah. Wow, you guys, you got the memo. You are almost word for word saying the, the words that I thought we may well feel. This, this attention between excited, uh, curious, but probably also a little... Um, a little bit just sort of, I don't know, not a bit wary perhaps, a little bit cautious. And there's a whole variety of reasons for that. If you're someone who is like that, first thing I want to say is, if you haven't listened to a talk I did about a year ago, and I think we have a slide, um, called The Orthodoxy of the Charismatic or Charismatic Christianity, I'd love you to just jump on our website and listen to that at some point. I think it will help. I want to, in that ser- ser- sermon lay a foundation for the authenticity of the charismatic. I looked at church history and how a lot of the kind of um, the sort of spiritual fathers and mothers that we we often quote and we don't realize that so many of them had wildly charismatic lives. You don't hear about that. The great, you know, theologians and bastions of truth that we often uh, reference, nearly all of them saw extraordinary supernatural uh, utterly miraculous things happening all the time. And I go through a few different arguments in that, in that sermon. It's more of a lecture. So if you're someone who's like, well, I'm a bit skeptical, but I'm open. First step, perhaps, is at some point, listen to that. But today, I want to uh, look, as it were, assuming that you're at least 1% convinced that the spiritual gifts are legit, that they are an authentic expectation of the Christian life. And I want to do it by looking at um, three passages. So if you have a Bible, um, could you turn first of all to Exodus 17? In fact, yeah, there's three passages, so you're going to have to jump around a little bit, but I hope that's okay. First passage is Exodus 17. And um, could I have someone ready to read that? You could be thinking, I can read the first uh, seven verses of that. And then we're going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians 10. So you might, want to, you might want to go to that one now as well, or at least instead of the first one, and be ready to read 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 5. And then I'll need a third person to read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. Okay, who wants to do the first one? Exodus. Thank you. Go for it, Becca, nice and loud. Place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped. 
no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Okay, story number one, Old Testament. Next bit of scripture. Who wants to read the 1 Corinthians 10 bit? The first five verses. Someone from over here? Or do I sit, Tim? Thanks. Yep. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that was followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, and they were overthrown in the wilderness. Nice. Cheery passage. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 to uh, 11. Oh, Lauren, go. Great. Okay, I'm going to try and uh, argue the case this morning that those three passages are actually linked, that they link together. But before we do that overview work, I'd like us just to get into little groups as we do each week. So this is a chance for you to say what you see. Okay, see what you see. Um, and so this just this group over here, maybe you could be a five if that's cool, or you could be a three and two, but I think five works. Could you look at the Exodus 17 passage? Just, just what stands out, okay? What stands out? Don't overthink it. And just quick sharing, popcorn style. This is a bigger group. So maybe um, could these two rows, you guys as a six, is that cool? Could you look at the 1 Corinthians 10 passage? And if you guys at the back, if you could also turn to each other and look at the 1 Corinthians 10 passage, what stands out? Simple question, what catches your eye? Um, 
And then over here, you guys can be the 1 Corinthians 12. Let's have two groups, a 4 and a 4, if that's okay. The 1 Corinthians 12 passage that we read about those lists of spiritual gifts. Just have a quick conversation. What struck you? What had you never noticed before, perhaps? You guys, you can do that passage as well, the 1 Corinthians 12. Let's hear lots of wonderful gems of wisdom across the room. Let's circle up, have a quick feedback. Let's start this side. You had the 1 Corinthians 12 and you guys at the back. Any quick summary observations that you noticed? Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, gives him out so it kind of like helps us to see that there's no like there's not one better than the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Anything else from this group? Yeah. And the Holy Spirit speaking, and then even in verse 3, how it says that no one can even say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. Right. So it kind of broadens the definition of, what, of how the Holy Spirit works. Yes. Very, very broad. And, and just to double, double click on that, that beautiful verse, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So as we go on this journey over the next few weeks, that is a very important one. Because as you think about spiritual gifts, you can compare yourself and think, oh, oh, you know, I'm not like that person. Um, They're really spiritual. Hey, if you can say Jesus is Lord, if you believe that Jesus is God, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That's a game-changing one right there. So whoever spotted that, I I amen with you. That's a real comforting one. Anything from the, the group at the back to add? No? Great. You guys had the 1 Corinthians 10 passage, slightly more mysterious Anything that grabbed your attention as a group? A couple of groups. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's great. So even with God's presence, it's no guarantee you'll get it right, which reminds me of actually the word, the, the prophecy that Josie had a few moments ago where she said, it's, you know, the Christian life, we can get nervous that if we fall or fail, it's over. And, you know, we know whose voice that is. That's not the voice of Jesus, right? So that's a great, great point. Yeah. Anything else from that 1 Corinthians 10 passage that stood out? Right. Yes. Wow. Brian. Yeah. Mhm.
Absolutely. That's great. How about you guys on my left? Exodus 17. Absolutely. Is that real? Yes. Did that really happen? Was that really from God? Yeah. Um, and that this is just kind of a, it's helpful to have this as an example of that God will still, you know, he's still going to be there to show you that he is showing up. Yes. Um, even if you do doubt after you've just shown you that he is there. Wow. So the kind of the grace of God, really. Like, it, you know, I mean, if you're new to the Christianity thing, that, that, that it's, it's very unflattering. <laughs> <laughs> as a kind of spiritual path it it really is full of a god of love but of a, a, a huge example of people who are constantly failing basically um, and that rolls right into the new testament with the disciples who have actual div- access to div- the divine god himself so you're right it's uh, it's strangely encouraging isn't it I, is it just me who's encouraged by people's mistakes no i think we all are so uh, this is fantastic and, and i think what i, I want to do in the next sort of 20 minutes or so is simply lay a foundation this morning um, when it comes to understanding the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. My main point is really this, and it's coming from these passages, is that the gifts, the spiritual gifts, are both essential and expensive. Can we just say that together? Just a little bit of participation. One, two, three. The gifts are essential and expensive. Um, The 1 Corinthians 10 passage, I think, is kind of the hinge passage. It looks back and it looks forwards. And if you want to kind of understand in its simplest form what Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, which was both, from what we can tell, they, they were going for it in terms of like, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. These guys were on fire in terms of supernatural, extraordinary things happening. But their character wasn't so hot. Paul says to them, he says, basically, and he uses this, this, this very famous story um, in verse, he says, talking about their spiritual ancestors, the people of Israel from whom they've come. He's saying, Israel, they all ate the same spiritual food And they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So this is the basic idea. Just as the rock was struck, and what came out of the the rock? Water. So in the same way, Jesus Christ at Calvary was struck. I mean, he was literally struck, wasn't he? We're told that a spear actually went into him. And what came out of Christ's side? Blood and water. So medical proof that he was actually dead. In the same way that in the Old Testament, that rock was struck and and then water came forth. Paul is saying to these people, do you not realize 
that Christ at Calvary, when he was struck, out of his guts, as it were, flowed the possibility of forgiveness for sinful men and women. But more so, not just forgiveness, also flowing out of that incredible work of atonement was the possibility of the very presence of the Holy Spirit himself. This is a beautiful picture. It's stunning. So what it's saying is, is that in a sense, God always had this rock idea, this striking of a rock idea from thousands of years. It's nothing new in that sense. There's huge continuity. So just as Jesus the rock provided spiritual food, i.e. manna, and spiritual water, i.e. water from the rock, in the wilderness times, just as he did it for the Old Testament for Israel, Jesus the rock provides spiritual food and spiritual water in the form of spiritual gifts for the people of God now. Do you get it? So he's saying that there are a, there's a strong metaphoric visual parallel you're meant to see. That just as spiritual food, manna, spiritual water was essential for those guys in desert times. In the same way, the Christian church needs spiritual food, spiritual water, i.e. the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to live in these desert times now, which is actually what the Bible says, until Christ returns. And finally, the trumpet sounds, and God restores this whole world. There is a sense in which we are always now in wilderness times. We are waiting the coming king. He hasn't come yet. And in the same way, he's saying that they were, so, they were um, sustained in those desert times. The, the church is designed to be sustained by the spiritual gifts. So you may say, really, Tom? I've never heard that before. I'm not sure about this parallel between you know, the manna and the spiritual water and the spiritual gifts. Is that really true? Well, let me show you six quick parallels. 10 seconds on each, that my friend Andrew Wilson, who's a brilliant theologian, he did an article in Christianity Today arguing this, and I think it's really compelling. So six parallels between, um, between the spiritual gifts and um, the spiritual food that, that, that Israel had in the desert. First of all, both are miraculous gifts coming to sustain people, daily to sustain people. He says this, it is not for nothing that Paul describes manna and the water from the rock as spiritual food and spiritual water before then going on to speak about spiritual gifts. You see here in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about a spiritual deal, setting the scene in their minds. So when it comes to understand the spiritual gifts, there is this wonderful parallel and continuity between the two. Secondarily, both are easily misunderstood. If you think about the story, if you know it, when uh, Israel, God guts them out of, out of uh, Egypt and he gives them the manna, what's their response? Can you remember if you know the story? Yes! They're like, what is, what is this? Okay? It wasn't obvious to them. It was this slightly strange dynamic, this slightly strange thing. And in the same way, is it not true at Pentecost when the spiritual gifts were poured out, people were like, ooh, what is this? I think they've been, you know, 
This is a bit weird. Do you see the parallel? Both can be easily misunderstood. Thirdly, both are given specifically to God's covenant people. The rest of the world didn't have this strange manna and this strange source of water. And in the same way, the Bible says that the Christian church uniquely has access to this spiritual vitality that is the spiritual gifts. Fourthly, both can be overemphasized. Yeah? You see, again, uh, if you know the story, it's a great story if you don't know it. Um, God says to them, you know, collect it, but trust me for the seventh day. And what do they do? They go, no, 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 we don't trust you. Collect, 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 overemphasize, overemphasize, stuff it down. And when they look at the manna and the quail, it's rotten. They overemphasize. And surely uh, <laughs> we can see that there are many Christians who are so into the spiritual gifts, they get more excited about the spiritual gifts than the gospel. You know, and they overemphasize something. And actually, it kind of goes rotten. It's kind of sad. Fifthly, both can be grumbled about. <laughs> right? They're like, as you said a minute, like, oh no, back in uh, Egypt. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this is this weird, like, mannery stuff and water that comes from a rock. In the same way, we Christians can grumble about the spiritual gifts. You know, when it actually happens, it's a bit weird. I like the idea of a tongue, that, but then when someone actually brings a spiritual tongue, it sounds a bit weird, and I can sit in judgment on that tongue. You see? I'm sure it's just me. I'm sure none of you are ever guilty of that. And the final one, again, that my friend Andrew points out, and this is the most compelling, he says, both are meant for people in wilderness. This is really important. Let me just quote this great quote. Perhaps the most interesting parallel, and probably the most useful, is this, that both manna and spiritual gifts are given for specific purpose. I think we have this actual quote. I wrote it out. There we go. They are meant for people in the wilderness. That awkward period between slavery and promise, Egypt and Canaan, redemption and inheritance. Israel did not need manna in Egypt because they had melons and garlic. Uh, neither would they need it in the promised land because they would have milk and... But in the meantime, however, they needed manna and quail and water from the rock to sustain them on their desert travels. So do we. Can I have a hallelujah? hallelujah. Oh, oh, wild. Like Israel, we are on a slow and difficult pilgrimage from past rescue to future rest. We have been set free from slavery to sin and death, but we await the day when we can settle in our true ho homeland. In the past, we did not use spiritual gifts because the Spirit had not yet been given. In the new creation, we will not need to because what is mortal will have been swallowed up by life. But in the meantime, since the journey is long, God provides us with heavenly presence and heavenly presence, but on bumps, to unite us, to make us strong and to sustain us on our desert travels. Hallelujah. So there are two conclusions that inevitably come to mind if you are even slightly persuaded by this line of theological thought. And I will finish with these two. Number one, therefore, if this is true, spiritual gifts are essential. Say essential again. Essential. Number two, they are very expensive. Say very expensive. very expensive. Let me just argue my case and then we will respond. First of all, this compel if you think this is, might be true, if you think about the picture, 
Spiritual gifts are absolutely essential. Now, only foolish people go into the California desert without water. It happens every year, right? We hear about tragic people who just wander into, you know, the, the desert, the wilderness. We were talking about it just before, uh, before we started the service. You know, America is a wild place. It is different to England, you know. Uh, our biggest foe is hedgehogs, you know. Uh, here it's like, you know, there's deadly rivers and there's scorching sun and it's just massive. It's a brilliant illustration. You do not go into the desert without water and with all that you need. So if, if God, if Paul is, if Paul is, if God is arguing through Paul, Paul wasn't God, but if God is saying through his Bible, friend, Christians, you need to view this reality until Christ returns as a very real desert. That's why your life is hard, even with all the blessings that come. If you view this life as something of a wilderness until Christ returns, for goodness sake, get the water bottle out. You know, don't despise these things that are not like optional theological discussions. They are essential. They are essential to live. But if you don't see your life as a desert, you won't see it as essential. And the enemy rejoices in the comfort of America. Oh, it's not a desert, Tom. I've got my enormous house and my massive bank check and my holidays all planned. I'm indestructible. I have Jesus over here. My life isn't a desert. I have Netflix and I have DoorDash and I'm, I, I'm loads of friends. And I have, you know, Kaiser Permanente and I have everything I need. It's a lot. I mean, these are great blessings, but you are still technically in a desert, my friend. Everyone is until Christ returns. He's the one, the king, his return is the only thing that turns the true desert into the new creation. It's only when he returns. And so that's why Jesus says, blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst. Uh? Yeah, if you're not hungry and thirsty, he's saying you're not blessed. <laughs> There's many Christians in this land who are not hungry and thirsty. I'm fine, Tom, because we're, we're living on the junk food. That, 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 that dilutes the true hunger that we should feel saying, I'm in a desert. These other things are fine, but I need the king. I need the king. And my life is something of a desert until he's with me again. And God rejoices when you feel that. Isn't it strange? He rejoices when you start to recover a true seeing of reality. That's why Jesus repeatedly says, wake up. He, he, you know, we get enchanted by this world, by the screens, right? Jesus was constantly saying, wake up. You need God more than you have any comprehension. That's why the poor in the world get it, because their life expectancy is much quicker. It's everywhere. You know, if I'm going to survive, it'll be by the grace of God. They feel that sense of fragility. Spiritual gifts are only essential if you agree with the biblical view that you, like Israel, are on a slow, long, weary pilgrimage until your death or Christ's return. When that penny drops, suddenly you go, my carumba, I want every spiritual gift I can get. I don't want to try and survive any other way. Not just the spiritual gifts, but the giver himself. So let me give you a few examples in my own life. First of all, and this 1 Corinthians 12 passage is so powerful. And, and it also, if you're interested in these Specific um, spiritual gift passages, look at uh, Romans chapter 12 as well. That's another list passage of these wonderful spiritual gifts that are made available for these desert times. Um, 
I was in a desert of discouragement. There you see, continuing the thing there, alliteration. A desert of discouragement. Um, I have been in that on and off, to be honest with you, uh, with COVID and, and lots of difficult things. And many of you have a gift of encouragement. And there's been times when you've said to me, oh, Tom, just to let you know, we really appreciate you. We thank you that you're still going. <laughs> thank you that you're present. Thank you, etc. And I tell you, the, the joy in my little soul, it's not a small issue. If you feel discouraged, that's a work of someone else, right? He is about discouraging you, taking courage out of you. When you go, I'm going to give you encouragement, you're putting courage into the, into the soul of your friends and those around you. It's not a small thing. Some of you have got a real gift of encouragement. And you, when, I would even say to you, why not every single Sunday that you go, why just say to yourself, I'm not going to leave until I encourage someone in one small way. I promise you the dynamite that gets unleashed when a people are just, we have the words to, to build up or to destroy. The, the spiritual gift of encouragement is extraordinary. I remember I went on a missions trip or a ministry trip to New Zealand a few years ago and it was a great trip but um, I was in a place called Christchurch where there's been massive earthquakes and there's a real kind of spirit of fear in that city and people would often you know mention that and talk about it. I pulled myself out, preached a lot, built people up and I came back and I was like man I am exhausted. I am like physically and spiritually totally drained. I was in a, a sort of almost like a desert of depletion. And it suddenly occurred to me, I couldn't solve this myself. I know I need someone to come to me with like a gift of faith, which it says here in, uh, is it in, in, in the 1 Corinthians 12 passage? Or maybe it's in the Romans 12, I always forget. Which one? One of these. Anyway, it's another, it's another spiritual gift. The gift of faith. And I said to my friend Danny, I said, Danny, I think, I, this is a bit embarrassing to admit, I need you to lay hands on me and to impart some spiritual gift. Paul says, I long to be with you to give you a lecture. No, so that I might impart some spiritual gift. That word is very specific. It's like into your guts, into your soul, into your being. And I was like, I'm, I'm not recovering from this trip. And I said to my friend Danny, and then another guy, Mike, who's an amazing uh, Vietnam vet guy, mighty guy, and they both laid hands on me and just went for it. And something happened in my inner being. It was like I went from this place of real fragility because of their gifts of faith. I couldn't do it for myself. I was in a desert of depletion, and those spiritual gifts just came to me, and I felt so different. I remember a couple of years ago, I was um, feeling pretty hopeless and exhausted and just, you know, middle of COVID and everything. And I went to this thing called Celebration California down at our sending church in Visalia. Some of you might have went there. I think Tim went, Kelsey. And anyway, this guy came up to me, this older guy called Steve, Steve Whitmer, who has a gift of prophecy. And he just said, uh, Tom, I'd like to just pray for you. I was like, okay. And he started to pray over me. And it was like, if you've ever been really, really dehydrated, just like a little bit of water on your lips. And he's a very gentle, fatherly guy. He started prophesying. I see you. Well done. God says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm, you're, you're moving into a new season. It's coming. 
season of favour. A season of favour is coming. In fact, this season of favour is going to be so remarkable that it's like in a car if you're driving and you've got all the different channels. Every channel that you press is going to say favour, 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 favour. It's coming, Tom. Hold on. And I tell you, I was like, Steve, <laughs> keep speaking, keep speaking. And it was like my, my metaphoric chapped lips slowly started to recover. Gift of prophecy. Any of you ever had that? You know, m- loads of you have had that, I know. When someone comes and they start to speak life and strength. Man, there's nothing like it. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. When the gift of prophecy is operating... It can be a simple word, but it brings life, particularly in those desert times. I remember once being in a leadership scenario that was absolutely a nightmare. It was going on for a long time. It was incredibly complicated, and I was really, I didn't know how to solve this thing. And there was a big meeting coming up, and um, I knew what I needed to say about this particular leader, but I was like, this is going to sound so harsh. But don't know how else to say it. It has to be said. And about half an hour before this big meeting, I went for a walk. And I said, Lord, you know, I need, I just, this is just going to blow up. Don't know how else to do it. And, and the Lord suddenly plopped into my brain this like, spiritual gift of wisdom. And he said, yeah, that person is like that. But the reason is, it's because they don't trust you. You're focusing on the behavior but the real heart of it is actually an issue of trust. So it was the same issue, it was their controlling ways, was real, but rather than me just saying, you're controlling, I was able to say, I don't, I don't really feel like you trust me. Do you see the difference? Oh, it was kind, we wept together. Confession, it was so sweet. It was all the difference in the world, and it was from heaven. That was not Tom Shaw. I can be like a you know, bull in a china shop when I haven't got the kindness, the wisdom of the Spirit. But if we don't think we're in a desert, we don't ask, and, and, and we just operate, you know, in the flesh, and, and oh dear, it's not great. But when we go, no, no, I need him. I, I remember back in Canterbury once, a friend of uh, some of ours called Louise, she, um, she brought what's called a, a word of knowledge. Um, again, um, you see it, I think, here in the 1 Corinthians 12 passage. Um, yeah, here we go, look. To another, a message of knowledge. And what I think that's talking about is when you have some kind of picture or something plops into your spirit and you know you couldn't really know where that's from. You don't know. It's like, I couldn't know that about someone. And you might hear someone here at Sanctuary go, oh, there's someone, I think there might be someone here and this has happened and there's a situation, right? And uh, I think that's what Paul's getting at when he's talking about a word of knowledge. And uh, my friend Louise got up in the middle of our meeting you know, being, being Tom, I was like, oh, yeah, fine, great, great. Come on then, Louise. And she shared, I just said, hi, everybody. Uh, and I honestly, I can't remember exactly what she said, but there's someone here today, and it's quite a big church, a few hundred people, and she said, um, and I think, this is, I think this has kind of been your story, a bit like such and such. And I think you're here today, and this is what's happening, and right now, there may be this feeling, da-la-la-la. And she described this situation. She described a bedroom and how um, she saw this person in that bedroom and something happening. And it was, to be honest with you, I was a bit like, yeah, great, fine, let's go. You know, sort of in my heart. Anyway, uh, a friend of ours called Sam, non-Christian guy who'd never been to church in his life. This was his first Sunday. You can see where this is going, can't you? And at the end, I was like, so Sam, how'd you find the sermon? 
do you enjoy it? Yeah. You know, expect, and he was like, uh, yeah, it's fine. Um, but he was undone. He was like, Tom, who, what was that thing when that, when that woman said, from, that was me. That was crazy. That was my bedroom. That was me as a little boy. And he was just undone, this tough young lad who had a tough life. And I was like, man, when you're in a desert, when your life is, feels like a desert, right, you don't despise the gifts. You're just like, Phew. but when you just lose that place, you can sit in judgment. We can judge the outer packaging rather than the kernel of what's happening. So what I'm trying to say is this. For, for us as a church community, we, want, we don't want to be crazy for the sake of it, okay? Um, we really don't. Um, but they are really important. Like theologically, th- the spiritual gifts are incredibly important for a desert people. They're, they are like really, really essential that we, he says, you know, they are there for the manifestation of, the, of God and they're for the common good. Paul, and Paul, Paul you know, I love someone once said this about Paul. He, he wasn't afraid of the supernatural, yet he had an intellect that would tower over anyone. You know, he wrote Romans and he raised the dead. He did both, okay? He wasn't like, you know, um, scared of the things that can seem a bit strange. He was really comfortable with that. And actually, I would say, in my experience with most of my friends who don't have a Christian worldview in the Bay, they have no problem with the supernatural. I think rationalism has had its day, in my experience. I think my non-Christian friends say, oh no, of course there's something beyond the visible realm. That's just obvious. We don't necessarily believe in Christianity, but we do believe in a spirit realm of some kind or something that's beyond just a kind of materialistic way of expressing things. Christians have to, I think we have to catch up, often ironically. So I think we need to understand that when we as a church try and make room for someone to share a tongue or an interpretation or the, it says, talks about a spiritual song in the book of Ephesians. What's that? Paul had something in his mind. What's a spiritual song? When someone has a, an attempt to bring a prophecy, that's a big deal to us. And we will explain it and we will try and make sure it's, you know, um, it's seeker sensible, not, not crazy. Of course not. But, uh, you know... I, for most of us, the da- our dangers are not that we're just too wild. <laughs> you know, I know most of us in this room. I think our danger is we can crank it up a little bit. You know, we can, we can, kind of, we can trust that maybe the God of the universe is going to do something that we didn't plan. You know, and it might be a bit beyond our cognitive ability to work it out. Just maybe. You know, the God who parted Red Seas and made donkeys talk, just in the Old Testament, let alone the New. So, it's essential. But secondarily, and I'll finish with this, it's also really, the spiritual gifts are really expensive. Look at this, and I say that because if you look at this image that Christ was struck, man, when Christ was, he was struck so that we could be blessed. He was struck so that we could be those who receive not just forgiveness, but the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He was struck. You see, the gifts are free, hallelujah, but they're very expensive. Do you understand that? When you get a gift and it's expensive, even in a human way, it's just respectful, even if you don't like it, <laughs> to be like, wow, thank you. 
even if the gifts are different sometimes to what we imagine. I want to argue theologically with your brain that it is orthodox to understand that what Paul is arguing, that, it, that the spiritual gifts and the presence of the Spirit cost Jesus himself hanging on a cross for hour upon hour. I want to connect that. I don't want to say all oh, the spiritual gifts of this conversation over here. Paul's saying, no, no, no. The only way that a prophecy might occur or a gift of discernment or a gift of healing. The only way that could happen was with my boy hanging on a cross, alone, betrayed, naked. So please don't despise the gift of prophecy. Oh, church, don't do that. Use your brain, weigh it, check it against Scripture, the ultimate prophecy, but don't despise it. Don't throw pearls before swine. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. This language is, is Paul's like, oh, please be careful. Don't do that. And, and we do do that, right? In our intellectual pride at times. And I think God says, don't do that. The gifts are really, really expensive. And so what that means is we actually revere Christ through them. We revere him. We cherish them. We have a, a prophecy that came years ago from a friend of mine in England. Um, you know in San Francisco, have you ever seen those big red brick <coughs> circles on the ground? You may not have noticed them. They're everywhere. They're really big. They're about the size of this central bit of chairs. And he was in England praying for us. And he said, I just saw this very vivid picture of red bricks. <coughs> it was very strange. So I Googled it. And the first that came out, Red Brick San Francisco, if you do that, is, this is amazing, after the Great Fire, they built these underground water cisterns all across this city. And they marked them on the surface with these red bricks, these so you, if you walk around now, you'll see them everywhere now. And so if, if, if there was ever a great fire again, they could quickly open them up, stick a hose in, and squirt. And he was saying, as I prayed about this, this pastor in Eng England who's never even been to San Francisco, I felt the Lord saying that there's underground cisterns of his spirit. There's people in that city who just beneath the surface, the spirit lives. Just beneath the surface. That, and God's going to bring it up. And they're going to start to experience the fullness of God. It's just beneath the surface, Tom. People waiting for you. Keep going. It's happening. Some of you have even said to me almost those exact words. One lady who's been coming, who just lives in the neighborhood, she, after a prayer meeting, she said, I'm sorry I can't really speak. I'm just undone. I just feel like I've, been, I've just been waiting for this for so many years. I didn't know this kind of church existed. Whether you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. I have one friend who's an incredibly brilliant, gifted worship leader. And he's in this city. And I know he was finding things very difficult and even considering moving. And then he came to a meeting where a prophet of ours, a friend called Julian, who's not wacky or weird, but he can hear the Spirit of God and say things that are extraordinary. In his gentle, fun way, Julian prophesied over his whole family, all of his kids. And he just said, what do you do with that? Our kids, like their faith is just, uh, teenage kids, they're just, God is real. You can't do that. You can't fake it. I mean, you can try. But when, when there's the real, these real gifts of the Spirit are really celebrated and cherished and in operation, man, it's a game changer. Systems. I believe there's thousands of people in this city who are those systems 
who deep in their spirits, there's something yet to wake up. And I believe God is saying, man, he's doing something. He's doing something. I'm on a th- text thread with uh, a whole load of San Francisco pastors. This is such a joy. And the conversations are normally of one kind, and everything's changing. With all that's happening in the Asbury renewal, the revival, whatever we want to call it, what God's doing there, and in Texas, the, you know, the university there, and <coughs> some of these guys have flown out. And these guys are the most brilliant, intellectually re- genius guys I know, tower over me. And I don't think many of them would probably say they are necessarily charismatic exactly, to be honest. They would probably say, well, open to the spirit. That text <laughs> is changing. It's changing. There's a hunger in these guys. All, we don't care what denomination. I have no idea what denomination most of them are. Or any denomination. They're just like, we're yearning to see the spirit of God be poured out. One of the guys shared, a guy called Tim Bittle, at the father's house. He was just saying, my 12-year-old daughter, Ellie, has had an incurable blood clot in her body for years. And the poli- uh, not the police. The, uh, the doctors said there is absolutely nothing they can do about it. It's terrifying. We've been praying for 17 and a half months. And this week, we got a medical proof and evidence saying that it has completely disappeared. It's completely dissolved. She is totally healed. And as we speak this morning, young Ellie is up at the father's house sharing about God's healing of her body. That unlocked other pastors are then saying, well, actually, it's interesting you should mention that because da la 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 this has happened in my wife's life and in my friend's life. We, you know, the spiritual gifts should lead us to revere Christ and also to focus on Christ. I get very angry with certain people who, who are charismatics, particularly in this nation, who are very weird. And I know that Christians are weird. That we just are. We, we worship a resurrected rabbi, okay? It's a bit weird. But there's kind of like the inevitable weirdness, and then there's just, why do you go to that place? That why do you have to be like that? Do you know what I'm saying? Charismatics in this part of the world... In, 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 in the States, have so often damaged the reputation of the Spirit-led life. So many of you are like, I see it in the Bible, but when you say the word charismatic, I get like chills. I get fearful. It's just very weird. And health and wealth and prosperity and overemphasizing certain truths at the exclusion of others, I think is terribly damaging. Christians who are filled with the Spirit and seeing the spiritual gifts should be the most humble people in the world. Of course they should. We should be the people who are most Jesus-focused. Paul, in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you can have faith that moves mountains, but if you do not have love, if you're not patient, if you're not kind, you are nothing, he says. He's like, no, no, there should be a humility. When you realize the expense of, of this, of this uh, gift and these gifts that God has given us, um, we should be a people who are above all else, absolutely um, deeply humbled and focused on Jesus, the giver. Now, I say that not to, not to end in a way that where we feel heavy or sad or like, you know, God's not angry with us. He loves us. Amen. <laughs> he wants the gifts to bring a sense of the Father's delight and joy. Um, but there is a sense in which you know, we have to be honest at times where we as a body have sometimes not helped people uh, in terms of the packaging, you know, and the sense of the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit alongside the gifts of the Spirit is what I'm saying. 
you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, is utterly crucial. It's, in, in a sense, more important. But if we do not believe in the dynamic power of the gifts poured out today, man, we are like a people choosing to live in a desert and, and, and not taking the very water that's designed. I'll finish with a quick story from Thomas Goodwin, who is the president of Magdalen College in Oxford 300 years ago. He was quite a clever guy, okay? Quite a clever guy. But he also loved Jesus with all his heart. And he was talking about really the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at in a few weeks' time, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And really, like, what's it all for? Why does God do this? Why is he wanting his church and his children to experience him in this way. And he says he describes a man and his little child, his son, walking down the road. And they are walking hand in hand. And the child knows that he is the child of his father. And he knows that his father loves him. And he rejoices in that. And he is, and he is happy in that. There is no uncertainty about it at all. But suddenly, the father, moved by some impulse, takes hold of that child picks him up, fondles him in his arms, kisses him, embraces him, showers his love upon him, and then he puts him down again, and they go on walking together. I was just last night, or yesterday, doing Google Photos with my kids. We love to do that, where you look at you know, the videos and the photos from times gone by. And a friend of mine, Simon, years ago in London, it was so funny, he, he, he did this thing where <laughs> when Daisy and Lily were a bit younger, he would grab them by their arms, and just, he's quite strong. He would just whiz around. He would grab them, pick them up. And Daisy was like, again, again. And she flew around. And then which one of you, was it you or Lily, who said, do, do it this way around with my legs. Was that Lily? Yeah, who was that? You. Daisy was just in it. She was like, it's not, it's not crazy enough just to do it with my hands. Do, do it with my legs. And so there's this wonderful image of Simon whizzing around and Daisy just in absolute ecstasy. And what Thomas Goodwin, the great uh, professor at Oxford, is saying, he's saying, when we talk about the Spirit of God coming, it's like a father who, you know, you're walking along with him. You know he's there, but every so often, the God of the Bible has to just come and grab you and say, I see you, Sam, and I love you. And I'm going to make this moment set up just so you know that you are my delight. And you know, Ryan, I love you and I'm for you. But I'm going to set this moment where this person comes in and this thing happens and suddenly you're like, God is in this place. Man, don't you want to be in a church like that? Amen? I mean, I love plans. I like, I'm not against plans and stuff. I want to be in a church where we're like, oh no, that's, that's in here. That's in here and, I, and it's essential for me. I, I, I'm going to be, you know, I, I need more than just what I can see and touch. I need the very Spirit of God to come. I think there's a cry going up over this world right now from different denominations, different styles, different nations where people are like, we need just God to come. And that's really, you know, I've tried to intellectually show it and go some deep in the Scriptures, but at its simple, it's this heart cry of a people who say, oh Lord, I just, I just want all of you. I want all of the spiritual gifts. I'm greedy for the gifts. I'm greedy for the giver more than the gifts, but I love your good gifts.